Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. I am the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. How's it going, Mike? How's it going today, Grump? All right, so Jonathan Hankins signed three-year deal with the Colts. He is gone for good. Potentially might be back in three years, but he'll still be young. But who knows? The problem for this year, this is our defensive tackle depth right now. We have Damon Harrison for the next four years. Excellent situation, along with Olivier Vernon and Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, but then behind that, we have Robert Thomas, who's a run stuffer, and that's it. He's got one. He's here for this year, and then he's an exclusive rights free agent. So if the Giants want to keep him, they, they can do so pretty easily. And then Jay Bromley is in his contract year and doesn't have a whole lot to show for it. But do we really want him back? And then there's somebody named Michael Hunter who I don't know anything about. That's right. <laughs> and I'm not I even joking. a contest to actually be a giant this year. So, And to be honest with you, when I look at it, knowing Steve Spagnuolo and knowing the defense we run, as of right now, I have Robert Thomas playing alongside Damon Harrison as the starting lineup because I know he likes to stop the run first before he starts rushing the passer. So obviously the huge gap here is a guy who's going to shoot the gap and make tackles in the backfield. Hmm. There's one guy I remember at the University of Florida who did that. So tell me about Caleb Brantley. Caleb Brantley is a monster. Uh, again, you know, I, I'm going to give these glowing reviews for my fellow Gators, but uh, another, we were talking, you know, in an earlier podcast about uh, leadership, you know, along with Jared Davis being a leader on the defense, he was a leader on the defense as well. Uh, a guy who took a little while in his career to kind of start really developing and being becoming the man. Uh, you know, this is a, a team that's had first-round draft picks in the defensive line, and it just kind of, re, you know, one leaves, the next guy kind of steps up, and he's definitely been one of those guys that did it. So, again, another guy that, you know, if we decide to go, you know, in the first round with a defensive tackle, I'd be very happy to get him. Yeah, and and Caleb Brantley fits the mold for exactly what we're, we're missing, what I think they were hoping to get from Jay Bromley in a couple of years, and something that Jonathan Hankins just kind of wasn't built to do. Caleb Brantley is 6'3", 307, so he's big enough to be – a force in the middle to stop the run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Of all of his skills, that might be his weakest, and it, that's that should be saying something because he was very good at it. But he does struggle at times with double teams because he can get a little high taking on blocks. But playing next to Snacks Harrison, I don't think he's going to be the one getting the double teams. Yeah, and that's the beauty of a Snacks is that you don't require to have some guy with the highest skill level alongside him because he's going to clean up a lot of the mess that, you know, just on his sheer girth, and the, and the uh, attention he's going to command also. Yeah. So, you know, you See, can get a little bit of a value pick in that spot. Sure. But Caleb Brantley is the kind of guy who's probably going to beat a one-on-one most times, depending on who he's going up against. But he's he's got a quick first step. He knows how to shed blocks. He knows how to slide between two guys. He's a pretty natural three technique um, and he would thrive next to Damon Harrison. And because he's already a pretty good run stopper, he has the size and frame and the ability to be a three-down defensive tackle, which is huge because I I think Hankins was probably our three-down guy, but he didn't have the pass rush ability that Caleb Brantley did. He just sort of had enough ability to mm. to stay on the field on third and long. And right. then we would kind of sub in one of our defensive ends to... He he would play sort of the Snacks role in third down where he had the speed that Snacks didn't have to kind of swim by guys, but mm-hmm. mostly he was there to eat up blocks and free up whatever defensive end we put next to him in the middle. 
Where did we end up team ranking last year in terms of sacks? Do you remember? Um, I know it started out awful. I can tell you that much. Team-wise, we were 14th, which is better than half, but just barely. But it's right around the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, the most it- sacks that our team had on the defensive line was Olivier Vernon with eight and a half. Right. Which is not incredibly high. That, um, you know, one of the big knocks on JPP was that a lot of his sacks were against crappy teams later in the season. They yeah. kind of inflated, inflated his numbers a little bit because, you know, getting into free agency. Yeah. You know, here's the thing about that. I don't care. <laughs> to me, a sack is a sack is a sack is a sack. Yeah. So, uh, so, unless you're uh, Michael so, Strahan, you know, getting a gift one from Brett Favre to yeah. break a record, you're still going against an NFL offensive lineman, and if, it's not a, it's not a gimme. So, if JPP didn't get hurt right after that, if JPP wasn't a free agent, that would never have even come up. I the agree. only reason people cared is because he was a free agent, and there was a toss up between him and Jonathan Hankins, and you know he got hurt just after that. JPP is a disruptor anyway. Teams knew that our defensive line was our strength. They were trying to scheme ways to avoid getting sacked. Um, and the worst teams were worse at it. Right. But, but I would say starting around the third or fourth game of the year, I mean, we went over this, but the, the turning point, in my opinion, for this team was against the Rams in London when the defense really started to come alive and show things. Again, I know it was against the Rams, but – there was a lot of pieces that were trying to learn a system and learning to play with each other. It was going to take time anyway. Well, what does that remind you of? That reminds you of 2007 when the first two and a half games of the year, were the defense awful. was absolutely atrocious. In that second half against Washington, it finally clicked. Yeah. Now, granted, this was getting into late October when it finally clicked, but the same type of scenario happened with the Spagnuolo defense. And again... I- the other thing is that 2007 team had a great running game. They could eat up clock. There wasn't as much pressure on the defense. Yeah. This year, the, the pressure was entirely on the on the defense. Absolutely. So Absolutely. They were playing uphill to begin with. So mm-hmm. I don't care that JPP's sack totals came mostly from. And you know what? I was just say a lot of people who follow the Giants like the Giants. A lot of media people who cover the Giants, are turned off by JPP. They, the whole thing with the firework thing really turned them off. He seems like he's kind of a good guy, but also I could see how some people kind of get annoyed by him. And, and it came to a real head with this. Some people actually saying they wanted to have, keep Hankins over JPP. And that, to me, is it was one of the silliest debates I've ever seen You know, involving the Giants. You know, I don't I, think I, that, that conversation even happened in the meeting of the minds with the Giants brass. I don't even think that conversation happened. Like, oh, what do you think, Hankins or JPP? Yeah, I, I would strongly doubt it did. But, you know, again, we live in a world where everybody with a uh, you know a Twitter account and a, a, a call they can call sports radio has an opinion. And that was one of those, I don't have my own take, so I'm just going to kind of be a sheep and just say what everybody else says. And that kind of became one of those things that, oh, I'd rather use the money to re-sign Hankins. And it's just foolish. Yeah. You know, there are not many JPPs grow from trees. No, not at all. I feel a guy at the skill set and the level of a Jonathan Hankins, you can get a replacement level of him out there somewhere. Yeah. Especially when you got a guy like Snacks who can help with that guy. Sure, sure. Free him up. So here's the obvious one. I I don't think there's a chance in hell that this happens, but if Jonathan Allen is sitting there at 23 for some stupid reason, if he has a gas mask full of pot, 
What, what can you tell me about Jonathan Allen from Alabama? If he has a uh, gas mask full of pot, I'm going to be his, his supplier for more because <laughs> that guy is, is – is, he's one of those franchise type of guys. And, you know, I, I guess mentioning him actually brings up a thing. There's no chance of us trading up at all in the draft, is there, this year? Are you talking about in the first round? Or are you talking about at all at any point? Or I talk about in the first round. I don't think we have the resources to, to get rid of a second-round pick for, for somebody – I, I, I'm not very familiar with the the sheet or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? The guideline on what the the value is of picks and how much right. to trade for what. Right. Um, I know that's also just a guideline and not a sure thing. And every team has their own version of it. I'm not very familiar with it. But for me, mm-hmm. if you how, how high are you talking about going? Because if you're going from the 20s to the teens, you know that might be something that could maybe happen going from 23 to like 18 but if you're talking about going to the low teens closer to single digits i don't see it i don't, I don't see think, that happening I don't think at all any really glaring needs i don't think we're in love with anybody to necessitate that yeah you know no, I, if, if, there, if there was a franchise left tackle you know what i mean that, for some reason you just took the words out of my mouth i was gonna say if there's a left tackle out there that we want to move sure thing, yeah. maybe but i mean jerry reese has shown that he's not a guy who's gonna trade down pretty much ever and he's he's only really traded up in the later rounds. For, well, we haven't done a first round trade up since Eli, right? Um, I mean, I guess that counts as a trade because we gave up resources for yeah, yeah, that counts. And no, I'll say it, I don't think it's happened since then, mm-hmm. which is what thirteen years now. It was two thousand and uh, two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, no, and. As good as Jonathan Allen is, by the way, uh, this is a guy who could almost play any position on the defensive line, in my opinion. He's so good. When a guy on that defense stands out as much as he does, you know the guy is something special. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, I mean, just watching, <laughs> it's it's not even fair. I mean, this is a guy that you could that's versatile enough that you could line him up against the weakest guy on, on the offensive line. But in college, they didn't even need to do that. They could let him take on the double team and he's strong enough to eat up the double teams but he's also quick enough to split them and watching him do it's actually fun at least for me i'm sure it was not so much fun for you to watch but (laughs) well that was one of those things where you knew it was going to be a disaster so you might as well just uh you know (laughs) i was at a wedding and i was just drinking heavily and it was just like well whatever dude (laughs) i know tennessee and georgia wish they were in that spot no matter what they say so (laughs) (laughs) so there's another uh, – Caleb Brantley, in my opinion, I think there's a very, very, very slim chance, like super slim chance that he slides to the second round. If he's there, I'm eating him up. But I think he's probably gone by the time we're picking. However, there's a different guy who I think will definitely be there in the second round. It might even be there in the third for us, uh, Montrevious Adams from Auburn. This guy is going to need to spend some time in the weight room in order to be a three-down starter. He – tends to get blown up a little bit with runs coming directly at him but this guy's a natural three technique also he has great gap shooting ability he has incredible speed to to shoot gaps and fly by guards he can do serious pass rush damage right away next to somebody like damon harrison and his run defense isn't terrible by the way he's just not strong so a lot of his it's it's his speed he can he will still shoot the gap and make plays in the run game in the backfield so he's not a total disaster in the run game or anything like that he's not like an oc humanura sort of liability where he's a one-trick pony but (laughs) he is gonna need to build some strength in the run game but he's a guy who when you have a robert thomas for this year and potentially the year after to play on the running downs this guy you can take your time with building his strength and he i think he can rush the passer day one if you want him to 
Yeah, I, I think again the talent around him and stuff. And you're right, and having Thomas potentially, maybe you do take a flyer on him. You know, especially if he drops to the third round. Yeah, yeah. especially if he drops to the third round. But I mean, even in the second, depending on how the first plays out and what we need and all that other nonsense, right? I mean, he's a guy to consider. Mm-hmm. I think the only other real guy in the in the middle that has been mocked to the Giants or discussed a little bit is Michigan State defensive lineman Malik McDowell. I don't know how I feel about this. This is another guy. Defensive line for me is a difficult thing to judge in college. A lot of it relies on speed. Especially with all the spread option offenses you see in college too. It's, yeah. not, it's not the same as lining up under center and just, you know, running up the middle. I mean, it's completely different. Yeah. And sometimes you're looking at a man amongst boys and a lot of times you look at guys at the combine and then you look at their tape and you're like, why are they playing him out of position? Malik McDowell is 6'6", 295. That sounds like a defensive end. I don't know why he would ever be considered defensive tackle. I mean, he played it well enough. He's very strong. He's got the power to, to bull rush guards, centers, double teams. He can stand his ground. Um, and he has good athleticism to be a three technique. But you look at him for the NFL, and there's just, in my opinion, he's going to be playing probably closer to a five technique and a three four, or you know, playing on the edge in a in a four three. Mm-hmm. So for Giants fans thinking about Malik McDowell and how he would do, I don't really see it. You're not getting the warm and fuzzies, are you? <laughs> no, no, not not to play. I mean, really what we're looking for is somebody like a Caleb Brantley who can play the run well enough to be a three-down three, three starter but really excels in rushing the passer and shooting mm-hmm. gaps. This guy can do that, but he first of all, he's already inconsistent and he's not very technically sound. And he's already inconsistent as a run defender. Sometimes I've I've seen plays where he's sort <laughs> he of – what's left. <laughs> yeah. Um, looks good in the uniform. I don't. Know. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he can rush the passer. He's just one of those guys who's not technically sound. You can see where he could get better, right? Um, but he's not coming in as some polished pass rusher that could work on his run game. He's kind of going to have to work on both, and I just don't see the middle as being his fit. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if if we're looking for a guy who can play defensive end and then on pass rush downs move inside which we use with justin tuck i mean he's a guy to consider you know a couple years down the line but i don't really see it with malik mcdowell for us i don't mm-hmm. think this is the fit for him i don't think this team is the fit for him not that he won't be a good player in the nfl i just don't see this as being the fit for him you got to draft for your scheme and for your the personnel around you also sure you know and some, too many guys just play fantasy football draft when they're you know you gotta not necessarily gms but you know people that are doing their mock drafts and and fans and it's got to be the right fit for what you're trying to do so yeah so the interesting thing that happened here is that to me i wasn't really sure what the giants needed on the defensive line at the beginning of this free agency with jpp up in the air with jonathan hankins up in the air and truthfully when you look at it are the giants really set at defensive end right now well let's look at the depth and see well so you have olivier vernon and jpp who are signed for the next four years Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. One of the biggest knocks on Spagnuolo early in the year when the defensive line had no sacks was that Vernon and JPP were playing like something like 97% of the snaps or something like that. I don't know if you remember that, but that was like – that was a topic uh, – as yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so the depth behind those guys I think is just as important as re-signing JPP. And behind it, this news broke just today, just as a spoiler for when we're recording this. But Kerry Wynn signed his his tender and is now officially a part of the Giants. Kerry Wynn is a a high-motor guy who excels in the run game. He's notched a couple of sacks purely on motor and strength. 
I mean, he's not going to be like your edge rusher, but he's been productive. Romeo Okwara from Notre Dame, who had a good time against the Cowboys in JPP's absence last year in week 16 or 15 or whatever week that was at the end of the year. Right. Um, who's more of a speed guy, and we... He was an undrafted guy. They knew that he was going to need to develop a little bit, but he showed a lot more promise than I think most people expected of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, he, held, he definitely held the board down while JPP was down. Yeah. I mean, did we miss JPP apples? Absolutely, but yeah. it wasn't some glaring thing like, oh, the Giants were, were doing great until they got knocked off course by the JPP hernia surgery yeah. or whatever. Right. And then, oh, Digizua, who still has right. two years left. There was some weird mystifying thing going on where it seemed like he was struggling with something in his personal life and he had some cryptic tweets where people thought maybe he was mulling over retirement early. But, but he was playing. He was out there. No, I mean, this is only like a couple weeks ago. This is like last week. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I think he showed up for whatever, some yes. off-season thing. He was he was there today. So yes, he was, he was there today in the workout room, yeah. But there's still not a whole lot of depth. There's not a lot of production behind those two guys. You know, Kerry mm-hmm. Wynn has had some production, but it's all motor. And But he's very solid run support. Romeo Okwara has a lot of upside that we are hopeful about. Odigazua had, you know, his first year was a wash due to injury. His second year didn't pan out as much as we had hoped. But I would say with Jonathan Hankins going, defensive end has fallen so far down my list of needs. I could see his... I could see us possibly after cut down day, maybe picking up somebody off the scrap heap, maybe just to provide some depth, like a, you know, like a cheap guy who can come in and be a body, yeah. which we may not have done earlier during the process. So, well, well, let me ask you this. How worried are you that JPP won't play a full year this year? I always close to assume there'll be something where he's going to miss one or two games. So, and how detrimental do you expect that to be? Based upon what the defense did last year, I'm not as petrified as I would have been before last year, mm-hmm. knowing you know what the rest of the defense has done collectively as a unit. I think when I first heard of the injury, you know, the the fireworks thing, I was like, God, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, this is going to set us back pretty significantly. But I, you know, I, I think what's been built in such a short period of time, and the way, you know, again. This is a unit that really didn't gel immediately, and I think now with a year with everybody together, you're gonna see a lot more cohesion than you did. So, um, yeah, it would be you know it'd be a tough blow, but I wouldn't be devastated like I would have been in the past. Yeah, it's actually funny when I, I learned of JPP's fireworks injury. It was literally a sobering moment for me because it was it was I don't know if it was the fourth of July or the third of July. But I was celebrating the holiday and I was pissed drunk, read it on my phone and immediately was so disappointed and upset <laughs> that I, I just was completely sober. <laughs> but let's uh, see if you heard that. If you heard that, let's say the injury didn't happen and you heard that news today, would you have the same reaction that you did in July 4th, 2015? It's hard to bring me back then. I kind of don't remember the state. I think the state of the defensive end was... Uh, it was definitely worse. I don't even know why I'm debating this. It was terrible. Yeah, it was the worst defense in the league. Yeah. And not only that, with, with Olivier Vernon, I feel like, and before the draft, although see, that that's the thing that, that you can't compare it to today is that we still have the draft ahead of us. That can change our draft plans. And July 4th, the draft is over, and you're sort of screwed. Right, but that injury, if he has that injury today, well, first of all, he has a 4th of July injury in April. I'm questioning the guy's sanity. <laughs> But um, but let's say that injury did occur today. Do you think that injury would have impacted their draft decisions immediately? I think it'll impact it. I don't know that it'll significantly impact it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but but here's here's what I was gonna say. Um, so if JPP were to go down for a couple of games, you, you've told me how you feel. What if it was snacks? That would make me more worried. Exactly. Because I think like like I was saying today and on last week's show, I think he can cover up for deficiencies of the tackle next to him. Yes, and I think it gives the tackle next to him room to grow. I think that he has covered up a lot of the linebacking core's inability to stop the run. Not that mm-hmm. they can't, but just that it's not a particular skill set. The, the inability to run up the middle is what the entire defense is based around. Getting mm-hmm. a second and long and letting defensive ends sort of fly and then getting a third and long and sending safeties and corners after the quarterback, that's what Steve Spagnuolo has built this on. But it all starts with first down. And it all starts with a no gain with Ezekiel yeah. Elliott running the ball. You know what I mean? So It increases the likelihood of a punt so much, and it changes time possession. It changes everything. And Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's my point. That's why, for me, defensive end is not as high in the list as defensive tackle. Um, having a guy who can rush the passer but is not a liability in the run game like Caleb Brantley, the impact that he would have, in my opinion, in April <laughs> without without seeing him against NFL's uh, players, it would be so significant that I think it would it would turn that defensive line stat on sacks completely around from where it was last year. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, however, to play devil's advocate, and because defensive end, in my opinion, is still a need because we need depth. There's a couple guys that I think we should talk about. Um, I'm not going to talk about Miles Garrett. I, <laughs> there's no reason to, guys. He won't be there. He doesn't have that pot uh, mask on. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> I think even if he did, he's still going number two. So. Yeah, I think I think teams might have learned their lesson last year, like letting a pot mask influence you too much. You say that, but Randy Gregory, right? Yeah, well, he's also had how many infractions now? Yeah, well, Randy Gregory's also not Laramie Tunsil. Let's be serious. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so we're not going to get into Miles Garrett. Guess what? He's going in the top five, probably number one. Um, yeah. Taco Charlton from Michigan. That's somebody that's been mocked to the Giants a lot. He's a little bit of a mystery because to me he could go – as high as like 15 he could go probably even higher he can go anywhere from 10 to 20 in my opinion mm-hmm. um there is a chance that he'll be there though i he's 6'6 277 he's got great strength to take on blocks he's got the length to play in a 3-4 as an end but he's more suited to be a 4-3 end is exactly exactly what we would need in terms of you know height weight and i think that he's one of those guys like tj watt where he's just coming into form he's really starting to he's not maxing out by any chance he's he's entering into his his prime upside mm-hmm. so he's definitely a guy we consider if the giants feel that defensive end is as big a need that they need it in the first round there's a guy that i think you saw a little bit of but not as much as he should have with Derek barnett from tennessee i don't know how much you saw of him because i know he was injured i believe right when florida played tennessee this year uh no he played against us oh, okay. he, he, he destroyed us <laughs> uh we we couldn't stop him in the second half. I've seen him being mocked to us quite a bit as well. Um, so Derek Barnett is interesting because he doesn't really have the length that you're looking for in a four three end. He's six three. He's also a little bit light. People have I, I've heard a lot of people say that he's too light and, and I think that's a overreaction. He's two hundred and sixty pounds. Okay. He's he's maybe ten pounds of muscle away from being perfect so what he that, does that's not a problem 10 pounds that's something that can be put on during an, an off season oh for sure yeah in an nfl locker room where you of it's, course you're also getting paid to put on that poundage so mm-hmm. what he does really well that taco charlton in my opinion doesn't do too well but you know could learn to do or whatever is he really knows how to sink his hips and get almost parallel to the ground 
to go around the edge. He's a great pass rusher on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he holds the record now for Tennessee for sacks in a season or maybe in That's a career. Good. Pretty impressive when you have guys like Reggie White who played there. Yeah, and and I've seen him mocked into the second round. So if he's sitting there in the second round, that's I'd be sitting there scratching my beard, kind of wondering what what it could be like. Uh, you know, he's he's a little bit streaky as a run defender. Uh, mm-hmm. He can get pushed around. I know that that's one of the big criticisms on him. But like I said, he can get pushed around. He's a little inconsistent. He's gonna put on weight. Trust me. <laughs> he doesn't have the length to play in a three four, so he's gonna have to put on weight, and I think he'll do it. Mm-hmm. The only other guy I can really think of, because it's so low of a need in my opinion, would you take a guy who has the the physical attributes? Would you would you take a JPP style person in the third or fourth round? Somebody that you would have to mold and teach a little bit to, but has the length and weight in the third fourth round? Yeah. Sure. In the first and second round, I don't think so. But third and fourth round, I think that's about as risky as I think this staff wants to be around that time. And I'll agree with that. I think that I wouldn't be totally disappointed, of course, depending on the board and our picks, if in the third, fourth round, the Giants went for Villanova defensive end, Tano Passano. Is that even Division One? played Pitt. Pitt's Pitt's definitely not Michigan. It's a power five. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's tape. Either way, um, this guy's 6'6 and 280 pounds. He's already got an NFL body. If you look at him from the combine, just just looking at him, six six two eighty. It's nice. It's 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 he's it's an NFL body. He's got it already. Mm-hmm. He's got the strength already. And what you look at when you see him, it's another guy who's also fast. Yeah, I think he ran a four eight, which is fast for a defensive sure. end, especially at 280 pounds. That's ridiculous. Think think about that in. Real life terms. I could I could know. run you an eight eight probably. But. I think my car might be able to do that. In uh, <laughs> so that's amazing, huh? I just it's just when you stop and think about just the size of these guys and the speed and the athleticism, it's just it's mind boggling. Yeah, when when I watch his tape, what I saw was this is a guy who had who already had NFL strength, and you could see he was literally taking on triple teams and walking them backwards. I know that that was against some stupid team like St. Francis or something like that, but, I mean, mm-hmm. that's still incredible strength. I don't care what the level of competition is. It, it's incredible strength. So he's already got the NFL strength, in my opinion. He's also got the speed already. What he didn't have is the technique down. So you could see there's a lot of wasted steps where mm-hmm. when he sat – first of all, when you're training behind Olivier Vernon – and JPP, and you have those guys kind of telling you, like, you know, you got to lead with this foot and all that sort of stuff. When you're learning behind two of the best pass rushers, two of the better pass rushers in the NFL, that that's going to help him alone. You know, just in general, the the jump from Villanova coaching, no knocks on Nova. Sorry, I don't know any of your coaches, but <laughs> but when you're jumping from Villanova to the New York fucking Giants, you're talking about at a completely different level of coaching. Yeah. And those things like wasted steps and, you know, getting too high. Sloppy technique. And that, just... that will get corrected. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, just ask Eric Flowers. <laughs> but that's a little different because you're going from Miami to the New York Giants. Right. I'm talking about you can just coach away bad technique or something. So no, it's, no, it's, it's, it's don't not assume simple, that just but... because you're, you're moving up in level that, you know, that's going to happen. I mean, these guys got to have the mindset for it and the, the desire and motivation to do it too. That's, that's true. Um, one of the things I did notice is uh, in terms of desire and motivation, the only thing I can see on tape that resembles that is motor. And if you watch this guy, you know, when, when, you, <laughs> when you're this guy and you're playing at his division level, mm-hmm. here's a hint. They're going to run it away from you. 
on every <laughs> single play on every single play and yet and yet when i watch this game tape he's still making a ton of tackles because he's chasing guys down well he you're never, a man among boys and yeah. you're playing in you know a league like that you know he and... never gives up this is a guy that in if i were to describe him he's an unmolded piece of clay mm-hmm. he's he's literally a guy ready ready to be built in the third or fourth round he's definitely somebody i would take a good long look at i'm sure they are I mean, at this point, I think they've taken a good long look at everybody, and right now they're just compiling their boards. But I, I would think that he's pretty high on their list for the middle rounds, like the upper middle rounds in three and four. Those are kind of the guys. I'm not looking at Chris Wormley, who's pretty much a run stopper. I'm not looking at Charles Harris, who in my opinion is more of a stand-up guy who's like a 3-4 outside linebacker. And I'm not looking at Solomon Thomas, who so this is a first round pick guy who's probably not going to fall to 23 but if he did I'm still not looking at him because he's more of a run stopper than he is a pass rusher right, right. Um, but again, that's, that tells you again the influence of snacks yes it does that, you know something we are we are drafting for a position on a specific skill set that we don't have to worry about as much with having a mountain like snacks in the middle yeah. so you asked me before would I be more petrified if snacks was down for extended amount of time and yes because he impacts the defense in so many ways oh absolutely i'm 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 gonna preface this too before before i i don't want to like let this go if snacks goes down even if we do draft caleb brantley i'm still gonna be incredibly worried oh god yeah, yeah. but if I mean, but if we were to ignore a guy, a guy who could be a pro bowler to a rookie i can't believe he wasn't a pro bowler i keep forgetting he wasn't yeah i'm trying to forget that Dwayne harris was and he wasn't <laughs> Oh, I forgot that he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that pretty much covers our defensive line. That sort of the Jonathan Hankins news sort of altered what I had lined up for our programming. Um, mm. I think what we'll go over next is probably guards and tackles, which I'm sure is going to be something that everybody's going to want to hear about. Um, and then the episode after that, we'll go over cornerbacks and wide receivers, which are the only two position groups left. Um well, we want to talk about. I mean, it may not necessarily be a draft need, but we want to talk about special teams. Oh, uh, special teams! Zane Gonzalez, kicker from Arizona State, who's really good. Guys, he's not going to be in the sixth or seventh round, so forget about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it there. Or we're not, we're not doing a pulling a Tampa Bay Bucks and trading up to get a kicker in the second round. Who, oh, by the way, now has competition in training camp. <laughs> I, I'm, there's a there's a really good kicker every year that goes in the third round, fourth round, fifth round. We're not taking a kicker in those rounds. So if if Zane Gonzalez is sitting there in the sixth round, which he won't be, you know, maybe we're looking at him, but I highly doubt it, guys. I don't even think that the Giants are willing to spend a sixth round pick on him. I it doesn't like a Giants move. It it doesn't. I mean, we've we spent a seventh round pick on a punter once. That was great. <laughs> um, but who's our who's our kicker as of right now? Aldrich Rosas. Is that what we're talking about? Yes, yes. Aldrich Rosas. Our our kicker was endorsed on Twitter for being very good, even though Giants fans did not know him. By I think Steve Weatherford or Jeff Eagles or somebody who played with, who practiced with him and okay. saw him. Or, or like Lawrence Tynes or somebody, somebody who would practice with him that is no longer playing, endorsed him. Will he be the kicker on opening day? Potentially, I think we'd probably more likely be signing a guy. Just remember, at this time last year, Robbie Gold was still on the Chicago Bears roster. That's true. So, <laughs> take that for what it's worth. 
I don't want I don't want to downgrade the kicking position though. I mean, I understand that having a guy like Dan Bailey, where as long as you can get to the thirty five yard line, you're getting points on the board. I I don't want to diminish that. That's an incredible weapon to have. And also, just important to have a kicker that will consistently, you know, nine times out of ten, knock a kickoff through the back of the end zone. Yeah. No, I, I don't want to diminish the value of that. I'm just saying in a win-now mode, there's a strong likelihood that a Shane Graham or somebody is going to be sitting there on the at some point on the wire. And believe me, I do believe that the Giants have, have the phone ready in their hand for the moment that somebody like that is on the Can wire. Can I make a prediction? Sure. Robbie Gold is back with his team on opening day. Interesting thought. Did he not because get picked up at all? He was brought, he's with Tampa Bay right now. Is he? He is providing competition for um, that null, and you know, ultimately they're not going to admit defeat after one year, and they're probably going to cut Robbie Gold. So I would not be surprised if he's back here. Interesting, very interesting. That would, I mean, I would be okay with that. I don't know how you feel about that, but he was fine. Yeah, I mean, there... missed the, you know, that that first. Uh, what was that crappy game with the bad wind? We uh, that the, was, was I it? think that was Chicago. That was the Chicago game, the one in the Meadowlands where we were late getting to. I was gonna say, I was gonna say the same thing. I was so pissed off that we were watching the game from the the security. Yeah, line. that was uh, you know they had they had one line open for the metal detector. Yeah. Oh. Thanks, Meadowlands. <laughs> one day we decided to drive and get uh, hosed. <laughs> Would you drove? Do you guys stay for when we get to football season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's open more of those lanes. Yeah, oh, please. Man. That that's fine. I remember his missed kick happened while we were online. That's right. Yeah. Well, then remember that day was a cold, windy day, and I think both kickers missed extra points. Yeah. Early on, it was a terrible. It was it was not a fun game to be at. It was I'm no. sure a hell of a game to kick in. All right, just to to really touch on this, a lot of people had a lot of flack on Robbie Gold's ability to have kickoffs go out the back of the end zone versus how Josh Brown did. And when I recapped the season, I didn't see a ton of difference on kickoffs between the two of them. I'm not saying that Robbie Gold was fine as a kickoff guy, but I'm saying that mm-hmm. if you didn't have a problem with Josh Brown kicking off, then you shouldn't have a problem with Robbie Gold because they were about equal. Right. And and the, and the way I saw it. Gold is one of those guys you just feel like he's been in the league since 1978. Yeah. Just kind of, you don't know if he's 26 or 42. He's just, you watch a random game and maybe twice a year there's Robbie Gold comes into your life and you watch him you know, hitting extra points and kickoffs. Yeah. So. Yeah, and remember, this is a guy who came off the street, and kicking in the Meadowlands is no joy. That's something that somebody like Josh Brown had a whole off season of getting used to the wind, and you know, gradually seeing the wind change. And he had played with the team last year, or whatever mm-hmm. the year before. Robbie Gold didn't have any of that advantage. I'm sure kicking in Chicago is no fun either. But Meadowlands, I was going to say, I, I've been to that. Uh... I've been to that stadium in early December, and believe me, it felt worse than the Meadowlands have felt. So, in terms of cold or wind, both. It would have shot off Lake Michigan, and it's just yeah. a, a brutal experience. Yeah. See, I don't know. I, I just know that there's something about the way it swirls in the Meadowlands that people have complained about. It doesn't do as much in the new stadium as it did in the old stadium. It's taller. And, That's why. Yeah. So the old one, everybody said just how awful it was, awful it was to throw, awful it was to kick. This one doesn't seem to be as many complaints. And not quite honestly, in the stands, doesn't feel as bad as the old stadium did as well. Because you had shitty seats in the old stadium. Yeah, I was, was going to say, it feels worse in December when there's less people in the crowd and the wind is really whipping you in the face. But exactly. Thankfully, <laughs> last year we were pretty packed in December. 
Yes, yes. I think it all kind of makes sense. Uh, again, we touched on this in last week's show that the Giants are finally in a position where they can draft on best available guys instead of trying to fill immediate needs with guys. We'll have to see. Yeah, we, we only have three episodes left, so we're going to have our wide receivers and corners. We're going to have our tackles and interior offensive linemen, and then we'll have our draft prediction episode. All right, so that's going to do it for us. Uh, I am the Football Grump. You can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Or you can follow the podcast at Just Giants Pod, or you can send us an email at Just Giants Podcast at gmail.com. I am the Cranky Fan, as always. You can follow me on Twitter at The Cranky Fan. You can also listen to my companion show, Mark and the Cranky Fan. Uh, both shows are available on SoundCloud, where you get your double dose of Gators and New York Giants sarcasm and obnoxiousness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go Giants. Go Giants.